Well, last week we began what I've, a series I've entitled, A Time to Rebuild, and we talked about God's divine timing, His awakening, and His provisioning, and how ultimately renewal, rebuilding, revival, those kind of things are really the purview of God. He's the one who guides it. He's the one that inspires it. He's the one that causes it to happen. Uh, we have a responsibility to be prepared, uh, to be anticipating him, watching for him. But in the end of the, at the end of the, of the, of the day, it, it, it really comes down to when God moves, God's going to move, and we get to choose to be a part of that. Now we turn to a chapter, and I, I challenged you all last week to do a little reading ahead, and nobody sent me any notes on their devotional thoughts from chapter 2, so I went on my own. But we, we turn to this chapter, and, and we, we come to a chapter that you look at, and I'll be honest with you, if you were reading Ezra devotionally, and you get to chapter 2, you know what we often do? Turn the page. Chapter 3, let's go on. But we believe that God's Word is inspired we believe God's word is infallible. We believe God's word is true. And that every word in the scripture is there for a reason. That God has put it there to teach us something about himself. Uh, and by the way, this chapter is in the Bible not once, but twice. And you're going, huh? They missed? No, it's over in Nehemiah as well. The same list is in Nehemiah. And you kind of have to stop and go, okay, well, God didn't put it in there once. He put it in there twice. Maybe there's something we need to see here. And so I want us to take a look at this. And one of the things that I try to do as your pastor on a regular basis is to, at least once a year, take a book of, the, of Scripture and go through it. And when you do that, it forces you to deal with passages you go, I don't want to write a passage. I don't want to work. Here, this is one of those. You kind of, but, but as I got into it, I'm going, oh, God has a purpose for this. And I want you to see this because I think it's important that we grasp it. So in light of our series theme, A Time to Rebuild, I looked at this list and I thought to myself, why did God put it here? So what I want to do is do a quick overview, relatively quick overview of the chapter, and it's 70 verses. And I promise you we're not reading all 70 verses. Okay? One, for sake of time. Two, because all the names that are in there, and then I'm going to butcher each one of them, and I'll probably mix them up with David anyway. So, you know, it's the way it goes. But let me, let me give you the overview, and then we're going to come back and look at what it means for us today. Look at the beginning of the chapter. It says, verse 1, Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Meshpor, Bigvi, Ruhom, and Baina. If you're looking for a name for a kid, there's you some choices. But, but what we find here, I want you to see, is this. It's an extensive list of the people of the nation of Judah and Benjamin who have said to themselves and to each other, let's go. Remember, in chapter 1, the door is open for them to up and leave captivity and go where? Back to the promised land, to cross the desert, to travel about a 1,000 miles on foot, most likely, to go back to the land of their uh, birth as a nation, where they really began and started. And so what I want you to see, first of all, is the people counted. The people counted. The people matter. 
Some 70, year before, 70 years before this, remember the people were living in Jerusalem. They were living in the nation what was called Judah and Benjamin. Those were two of the tribes. And they had been conquered by the Babylonian kingdom led by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And his actions had been allowed by the hand of God. Even though he thought he was conquering, it was ultimately God working in that situation to bring his people to their knees, literally, to, to a place where they could repent, where they could understand their sinfulness. As we, as our memory verse kind of echoes, we'll see that in a few weeks. But, but the idea that they had wandered from the Lord, they had fallen into idolatry, they had lived far from the Lord, and so God had taken Babylon and used them to bring about judgment. A pagan kingdom used by the hand of God. Let your mind wrap around that thought for a few minutes. We think there's no way God could use pagans for anything, and he does, seems like, all the time in the Scriptures. Their homes have been destroyed, their cities are leveled, the people have died, the temple of God was plundered, but now the time has come for what? The people to go back. It's time to return to the promised land. And he's used... Another pagan, a guy named King Cyrus of the Persians. And remember, his motives were primarily selfish. His desire was to get them to go build a temple so they could pray for his welfare. That's what he wanted. But God was using it to return his people to the promised land. And we know from subsequent passages, not all the people of God traveled in this first wave. And so I've entitled the message, The Vanguard, because these folks are the ones who lead the way, who are out there on the front lines, going faithfully to the promised land. Over in Nehemiah, we list the same list, but there's another name added to it. There's actually 12 names. Either way, what really matters is this. The people counted. If the people don't get up and go, is there anything going to happen in the nation? If the people don't do what God's called them to do, is anything going to change? If God's people don't step up and take steps of faith, what's going to happen? Not much. What I find interesting about this list, even though if you read it, there's a couple of familiar names. You probably noticed, too, that may have stuck out to you, Nehemiah and Mordecai, because they're mentioned in other books of the Bible. These aren't actually those guys. These are just guys that have the same names. So they're just guys in the list. These are basically family groups that are leaving. And you're going, so who are these people? At the end of the day, does it really matter who they are? It's God's people stepping up in faith, going to do what God has called them to do and has opened the door for them to do. So often in our lives, we were like that, aren't we? We're like Zerubbabel. We're just Shuas. We're Reliahs. You're going, I don't want to be that name. That's hard to say. My point is, is a lot of us are just folks that have no reputation or not well known, but we're part of the puzzle. We're part of the team. Does that make sense? Without the people, this whole thing would have been immaterial and would not have mattered at all. Because listen, every moving of God, every renewal of God always works through the entire congregation, through the people to bring it about. Second, and you're thinking, how's he going to cover the next section? Well, I want you to see four groups of people that are mentioned here. And you're going to still, you're going to love the scripture verses. You ready? Here they are. The priests, the Levites, the singers, the sons of the gatekeepers. You're going, boy, you're skimming a lot here. I am because the reality is, is on those lists are a bunch more names. Why do they put them there? Because they matter. 
The leaders counted. These are the leaders of the people now. Here are the four groups of people. The, 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 the priests. These are the ones who, when they get back to Jerusalem, wait, you're saying, wait, 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 they can't worship. There's no temple. Oh, they're beginning to understand that worship is not centered on a place, but on a person. And the priests would be able to lead them in worship when they got back to the promised land. The temple was gone, but worship continued. There were Levites in the group. Who were they? These are the ones who helped carry out the functions of worship. Think people who support the children's ministry in our, our context and those who, Greet people at the door. What a great job our special uh, class did this morning on greeting us at the door, right? Those kind of folks step in and serve. Then we find the singers that are in that list. You know, part of worship of God is what? Singing. Can you imagine coming to worship and not singing? That'd be kind of a weird service, wouldn't it? Some of you go, but I can't sing. Remember, it's not about the voice. It's about the heart. And these people are needed to lead in worship. Then there were the sons of the gatekeepers. That's another interesting little group. What were they about? This is the group that had a responsibility to keep doctrinal purity among the people of God, to call out error, to call out heresy, to call out mistakes, to say, whoa, 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 hold on a second. This is not right. We need to stay on the The people counted. The leaders counted. Then there's another group in verses 43 to 58 that I call the adopted. And you're going, the what? The adopted. Look, look at verse 43 and then 55 and following. The temple servants, the sons of Solomon's servants, all the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. That's a very specific number to include. Now, you're probably looking at that going, who are those folks? Can I tell you something? When I read the passage to begin preparing for a message today, I read that list and go, who are those folks? <laughs> because I'm in the same way as you are. We, we kind of forget some of the details, don't we, of the Old Testament. We forget some of the, 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 the different groups that were made up. So let me give you a quick review of who these folks are real quickly. These are people who were adopted into God's people but were not natural-born folks. No, hang in there because... That kind of applies to some of us around here, doesn't it? But, but the first group is the temple servants. These are people who were not of the natural lineage of Israel. They said they were the ones who were probably captured in battles, who became part of the nation and chose to stay and to remain. And they were given a role in the kingdom as well. And they were having places of service to be a part of the, the work. The sons of Solomon's servants. Here's another group that, that, that was pressed into service. Probably as Solomon expanded the kingdom, he began to overrun other nations. He would bring people into their, their land. And you're thinking, are they slaves? Not slaves. They were servants. But they couldn't be full-blown members of the nation because they were adopted in. And you're going, well, how long ago was that? That was actually hundreds of years. And yet they're still there. Faithfully serving, following. Then we see the sons of his servants. Uh, and, and that's another group. So what we see here is this. And, and you're going, wow, there's a lot here. And there is. But it's the, the importance of people. Renewal happens with the lives of what? People. Renewal happens in the leaders. It happens in the people. It happens in the servants. It happens in the adopted. It goes to uh, all these. And then there's one more group just to kind of catch everybody. It's the unknown. The unknown. Look at verse 59. The following were those who came up. And there's a whole list there. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there could be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. By the way, that's the last reference to that in the Bible, is in Ezra. Here's a group that, that they don't, they don't quite fit 
into the mix yet. Who are they? Think back to when the land was taken by um, the Babylonian armies. Do you think that was a very orderly and easy process? Of course it wasn't. What happened is people were being killed, things were being destroyed, people's lives were being uprooted, things were being changed. And in that process, some people lost their understanding of who they were. They thought they were part of the priesthood. They thought they were part of something else, but there was no evidence found. And so they couldn't be included at this point in that. And so they had to wait until a priesthood could be set up in Jerusalem and they could actually step into the role and figure this out. The big idea is this, is that people's status within the kingdom was unknown, and yet God still included them in the total. That's what I'm seeing in Ezra chapter 2. He's pulling these groups of people. Everybody's important. Renewal happens when everybody's involved. Renewal and revival happens when God's people work together and go in the direction that they need to go. And that's what they're doing here. And then we find in verse uh, 64 and following that the people arrived. They get there. Look at verse uh, 64. The whole assembled together was 42,360. That's a big group. Verse 68. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work. Verse 70. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their towns. So here we get kind of a summary of everybody that went on the journey. This was not every member of the family of Israel. Why? There were actually folks who said, in captivity, in Persia, when the opportunity came to go to the promised land, they said, eh, not us. What? They said, we'd rather stay here. Now, from a human standpoint, it makes sense. Why? Even though life was living as a captive there, it was a stable life. And the place they were headed to was a destroyed place, a damaged place, a difficult place. It was not going to be easy. So some said, we're going to stay here. But but remember, they're living in that stable place. But as they headed to a place that was decimated and destroyed, they're going, I don't know if I want to go there. So many stayed, but many went. And they were supported by a group. But notice this, one of the first things they did when they get there. What they do when they get there? You know, I, don't, I don't talk about giving very often as your pastor, but here it is, so we're going to deal with it. They arrived and they did what? We said, we want to support the work of what's going to happen here. We want to give to it. And they gave according to their ability, which is always the way it's supposed to. Now, Cyrus had sent them with much to begin the perk, but the people had to invest as well. They've made a journey across the the, the desert. They've stepped out in faith, and now they say, we're going to make an investment to make this happen and to be successful in the kingdom of God. So, what do you do with this crazy little chapter of all these weird names? Three things I want you to see. First of all is this, and they're all related to faithfulness, because ultimately that's what we're talking about, to see God's work in our lives, to see God rebuild us as a people when the time comes for that to happen and he leads. We have to do something. Faithfulness excels in commitment. That's where it grows at. Someone once said this, we are what we are committed to. We become what we're committed to. I, 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 
the image that comes to my mind as I was thinking about this is the one that we often do right here. We don't have them very often anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Weddings. Any of y'all got married? You remember that day? Yeah, some of you are going, I tried to block it out. No, you didn't. But here's the reality. What happens on that day? Up until that day, you are living as two people, right? You are, you, you could turn around and walk away tomorrow just like that and it'd be over. But when you come to that altar or whatever the place you choose to get married at, you come to that altar and you stand and look at each other and go, oh, am I the only one that had that? That's a, now it's easy to look back, right? You go, oh, it's a piece of cake. But, 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 but standing there that, that day, in the chapel, I'm going, oh, in the world am I? Why, is she, why did she say yes? She's nuts. I thought I'd get an amen on that one. But anyway, but once the service is over, what happens? We have now declared to the world we are, for better or worse, richer or poorer, committed to each other. And that commitment begins to change us, doesn't it? It changes us from what we were to individuals to being a couple who are standing together. The people left Persia on a trek to Jerusalem, and what they did was this. We're going to abandon the past. We're going to abandon the safety of bondage, if you can imagine that being safe, and we're going to go to an unknown land. Faithfulness excels in our commitment. Their faithfulness was going to lead them to do some stuff. They're going to rebuild a temple. They were going to come back and others would come along behind them and they would reestablish the land. And that land was important, as I shared last week, and I want to remind you again, is that land was important because it was the land where the Son of God would be born one day and he would be raised to be a child and to be a young man and to be an adult and who would eventually die on the cross and be resurrected the third day to give us forgiveness of sin, right? Their commitment to faithfulness resulted in a great outcome. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the church at Galatia when he said this, Let us not grow weary for doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So they're not being faithful, committed to I want this to be our heart's cry as we watch, as we wait for God to move among us. We want him to say, God, we're ready when you're ready. When you want to go, we're ready to go. When you say go, we go. When you say stay, we stay. When you say jump, we jump. When we say lay down, we lay down. God, we do what you call us to do. And we're not going to give up. And to be faithful. And let it commit, our commitment through there. Second thing I want you to see is this. Faithfulness is ultimately empowered by perseverance. Um, I try to come up with a definition of perseverance. I know there's one that Webster has, but but I think in our context, perseverance is this, is saying I'm going to do the right thing every time. Every time. When it's easy, when it's not easy, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to, be, I'm going to persevere. And I, that will empower my faithfulness to be following the Lord, to show up, to be prepared, to stay the course. I, I, I can easily imagine how these people leaving Persia as they're loading up. I don't know what they moved in. They didn't have U-Haul trucks. But they, they loaded up their stuff. 
and are heading across the desert. I got a vision of them going across. Now, can you see that in your mind? You see what, 42,000 people trekking across the desert, 1,000 miles across the desert. Man, here they go. Man, you got to hang in there. They're headed to a land that many of them have never seen in their lives. Now, we'll see next week that there were some in the group who had said, I remember how good it was in the good old days, and look how bad it is now. Those folks exist too. But these folks are headed that way. And they're going, we're going to go, we're going to head, we're going to be there. In many ways, their journey was just as filled with unknowns as the people of Moses' day or the days of Joshua. We don't know what's going to happen. Were they starved to death? Were they on a fool's errand? Were there going to be unknown forces waiting to kill them? See, they could have spent their time focusing on all the problems that are out there and all the issues that are out there. But here's what they did instead. They said, we're going to focus not on the unknowns, not on the what-ifs, not on the could-bes, but we're going to focus on the perseverance of staying faithful to the Lord. You go, but God hadn't really moved yet. Well, he's starting to move in them, but they hadn't got there yet. They wanted to walk in the face of what they didn't know, empowered by who they knew. They believe they heard God call them to go. I believe God's calling us to faithfulness. And as we're faithful and persevere in that, he will rebuild our lives. Listen to what James 1 says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the tests, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James 1.12. God calls us to be persevering in faithfulness, to persevere, to hang in there, to keep going. You're going to have trials in life? Yes, I'm going to have trials in life. You're going to have hardships in life? I'm going to have hardships in life. We have that, right? Do we give up because of it or do we keep going? I suspect God wants us to maintain the course of perseverance. And then third, faithfulness experiences ultimately restoration which is what God's doing in his people in the story of Ezra. He's working to restore them to the promised land after their unfaithfulness that had resulted in their judgment. Restoration is the outcome of faithfulness. Many years before the repatriation of these people to the land, the prophet Amos spoke about this. Now, Amos, uh, in, in full disclosure, Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom, not the southern kingdom. But anytime there's a prophecy spoken to either kingdom, it ultimately applies to all the people. And so we can safely bring that into our context here. But he spoke primarily to them, and he did this. Amos was a couple hundred years or so before this. He looked down into history. Oh, I just find it fascinating these guys can do that. God empowered them to do that. He looked down into history. He saw the day when the people of God, led by the southern kingdom, would reestablish worship at Jerusalem. Worship of God. And it would be through that process and through that effort that the promised Messiah would be the result. And here's what he says to them. It's a little lengthy, but listen with me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I... God says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they will never again be uprooted out of the land that I will have given them, says the Lord your God. My prayer for you, 
for us, for me, is that we would be counted among the faithful. You say, well, but I keep making mistakes. I keep messing up. Yeah, me too. I don't think... God calls us to perfection. He understands that we're not going to get there. He calls us to what? Faithfulness. To say, I'm going to hang in there. To continue to do what's best, the best I can. To be faithful. To watch where he's moving and join him here. I think that's why God, when God, he moves, we have to listen. We've got to hear his voice. And then we have to take those steps of faith. So my question to you today is this. Have you taken that step of faith? Many of you in this room, you say, I remember when I trusted Christ. Great. For some of us, it's a decision we have yet to make that needs to be made. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ for the very first time. Maybe you need to commit your life to a congregation that you've been attending for a while. Maybe you need to renew your commitment to Christ. We want to give you those opportunities this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house to look at this strange little chapter of a bunch of names that, Father, most of us can't even begin to pronounce, much less understand. And yet, God, you show us that when you decide to move among your people, as you're doing in the story of Ezra, you include folks from all levels, from the people, the leadership, the ones that are known, the ones that are unknown, the ones that have been incorporated in and adopted. Father, you bring all of us together to accomplish something in your name. And Father, we look forward to how that works out in our lives. And Father, we live with an anticipation that you can do that. Father, for those who need to make a decision public, we pray for them. For those who need to make a decision right there in their seat right now to say, God, I want to be on connection with you. God, give them that opportunity right now. And we pray your hand to be free in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.